Well, every year, literally billions of dollars are spent on humanitarian aid, seeking to alleviate hunger and poverty and suffering and sickness and exploitation and, and disaster relief. And, and all of that is very good. Uh, governments and charities and philanthropists can mobilize an impressive network of volunteers and, and logistics to to get aid to where it is needed. But really, in comparison to that, uh, the amount of money spent on gospel missions uh, really is a pittance. And the number of volunteers ready to be mobilized for that is, let us just say, they are few. Um, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, And yet, the humanitarian aid, without spiritual aid is futile. Uh, Humanitarian aid, as wonderful as it is, is merely keeping the dead alive, at least for a a little while, while the gospel of Jesus Christ offers life to the dead, eternal life, uh, spiritual food for the the hungry, uh, hope for the hopeless, a life transformation of love and kindness and liberty from the oppression of, of personal sin. And so we are in the Gospel of Matthew, and in Gospel of Matthew in chapters 8 and 9, we have seen a number of miracles, uh, three sets of miracles really, that Jesus has performed uh, and whom uh, Matthew, who is an evangelist really, trying to persuade his, his readers that Jesus is the Christ uh, by recording these supernatural affirmations proving that he is the Christ because he has authority over uh, death and over demons and over disease and over nature, but more importantly that he has authority to forgive sins, to give life, to, to restore people uh, spiritually. And so Jesus is uh, Healing ministry uh, is more than just the physical healing of people. Uh, It also includes the spiritual healing of people, the spiritual restoration. And and that's what we want to look at this morning. Um, We see this in in chapter 8 and 9. We see really three sets of miracles. As I said, the first set was miracles that uh, focused really on, on the miracle itself. With, a, with an emphasis on, on, on faith, perhaps highlighting the faith of the, of the centurion. Then, as the narrative progressed, we saw that the requirement for discipleship, what it cost uh, someone to be a follower of Christ. Then we had a second set of miracles, which have a definite more spiritual focus, that of trusting in Christ in the midst of storms, that of casting out of demons, the, the, the legion of demons that was found in the man in Gerasenes, and then also healing the paralytic. But before he healed the paralytic, he forgave him his sin. And uh, really as proof of his authority to forgive sins, he healed the man. Then we read of Matthew being called. Matthew, of course, a sinner who was healed supernaturally, who was healed spiritually, was restored spiritually. Uh, And as any true convert would do, he immediately invited a whole host of his old sinner friends for a banquet to share with them the new life that he has now in Christ and also to introduce them to the one who can offer them new life. And uh, what's interesting to note also as we go along through this <clears throat> section that the opposition to Jesus was not because he was healing people physically, but it's because he claimed that he could heal them spiritually, that he was restoring people spiritually. And so he was accused of blasphemy for forgiving the paralytic man's sin. He was accused of being a sinner himself or fraternizing with, with other sinners uh, by the Pharisees. Uh, after, after Matthew was, was saved. And then, of course, he was rejected by John the Baptist's disciples for not conforming to the law of that men brought in in, in regards to, to worship, and then, namely that was fasting. And so in our text this morning, we find ourselves in verse uh, 18 through to verse 34. And we see in this passage another set of, of miracles, the third set of miracles, 
<clears throat> but uh, again, all of that to prove Jesus' credentials as the Christ. But Jesus' primary mission was to come and save sinners. Ooh, pardon me for a moment. <coughs> and a frog in my throat. <coughs> Not literally, though. Uh, uh, then, of course, uh, 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 his primary ministry was, was, was to save sinners. He came to heal people spiritually, to restore them spiritually. And so this morning, we want to look at, at these physical healings, these physical restorations uh, that really points also uh, to some spiritual truths, spiritual healing that took place through his ministry. Uh, and uh, of course, not every, spirit, not every physical healing of Jesus resulted in a spiritual uh, restoration of that person, in salvation of that person. I mean, Jesus healed pretty much everyone who came to him uh, but the gospel revealed to us as we go along that few believed in him as the Christ, few received him as their savior, few followed him as their Lord. Uh, and, and for most of, of that generation, and because at the end of his ministry, they were all the ones who were crying out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. So they rejected him. Uh, so not all were saved. But there is a very strong case to be made this morning for the miracles that we uh, see recorded in our passage this morning, that those who were spirit, uh, physically healed were also spiritually restored. They were spiritually saved. And so this morning, we want to look at really two viewpoints on, or spiritual viewpoints, on the healing of of Jesus. Uh, so let us read Matthew 9, verse 18 through to verse 34. <clears throat> and while he was saying those things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. <clears throat> And a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd of in noisy disorder, <clears throat> he said, leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all that land. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him and said, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the ministry of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given it to us, Lord, to instruct us, to guide us, to inform us, Lord, of your will and your ways. So this, we pray this morning that, that that we do not know that you will teach us, Lord, uh, and that which we do know that we would believe that and that we would do it, Lord, that we would uh, apply it to our lives, and so, Lord, minister to us through your spirit this morning, through the preaching of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, two spiritual viewpoints on, on the healings of Jesus. And the one is, the first one is life and hope to the dead and dying. And so this is verses 18 through to 26, and we 
We see that Jesus was still speaking to the disciples of John when the synagogue official came and interrupted him with a most urgent message. Lord, my daughter is dead. Of course, the synagogue official was, was quite a prominent man in that time. He was, he was really the administrator of a local synagogue. He had to look after the building, the, the facility, and he also had to organize the services as to who would, would do the reading, who would do the praying, who would do the preaching on a given, a given day. And he was also responsible for maintaining discipline. Uh, in fact, we read in John 9.22 that, he, that he's uh, the authority to actually excommunicate someone from the synagogue. And we also read in, in, in Matthew 10.17 uh, that uh, some people were scourged in their synagogues, meaning he basically disciplined in, in their synagogues. So he was, a, he was a prominent man. He was a religious man. He was an influential man. But none of that mattered now. Uh, none of that was helpful to him now. None of that meant much to him at this time because his daughter was dying. His daughter is dead. And so we find him a desperate man. We find him a humbled man, brought to the end of himself by the illness and death of his daughter. Mark and Luke gives us his name, that his name was Jairus. And they also, Mark and Luke gives a lot more detail about these accounts uh, it says to us that uh, when, he, when the Jairus arrived at Jesus, that his daughter was still alive, that she was just on the point of death, uh, but that if Jesus would come and just lay hands on her, then she would be healed. She would get well. Literally, she would be saved. That is what he believed. And then, of course, as they went along, other messengers came and, and, and informed them that the, the little girl had passed away, had died. And Jesus encouraged Jairus to just keep on believing. Continue to believe. Continue to trust that I can do the very thing that you profess that I can do. That is to touch her and raise her to life. And so Matthew, really for his purposes gives us an abbreviated version. Matthew was, didn't want to really draw our attention away from Christ, who he's been speaking of in this previous uh, number of verses and chapters. And so he didn't want to focus on the detail, but just on the end of the story, and that is that Jesus raised this young girl to life again. And so Jairus, the synagogue leader, came um, uh, to a man many of his religious contemporaries have denounced and shunned. Uh, why would he do that? Well, because he's desperate. Um, he did not care what others may think or say anymore. Uh, his daughter was dying. His daughter has died. And Jesus is his only hope. And he came and bowed down before him. Um, he humbled himself, this synagogue official. He was humbled by his circumstances, and he was humbled because he believed. He believed in the one who came to address, who, who he sought help from. Even though many of his contemporaries, as I said, have doubted him and denounced him, rejected him, he believed Jesus could heal his daughter. And so Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And, and maybe just a, on an on a, on a application point here is we should note that Jesus was accessible. Jesus was approachable. Jesus was interruptible. Jesus was available. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And he is still, to this day, accessible, approachable, interruptible, available. And available to all who come to him through faith. And so when we are distressed and we are desperate, when we are despairing, turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus. Burst into the throne room of grace. Run to the Lord in heaven. Fall before Him in humble desperation, worshipful adoration through faith and pour out your heart 
your needs, your hope to Him. You see, the Christ on earth is the same Christ who is now in heaven. He is still accessible, approachable, interruptible, and available through faith. To all who come to Him who are weary and heavy laden. And so people, when, when, when you are, if you are here this morning and you are weary and heavy laden, you are distressed, you are despairing, you don't know the answer anymore. The invitation of Jesus is to you. Come, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, he says. And another thing for us to note we read that Jesus got up and so his disciples. His disciples learned from their master. They were called to follow him. They were really in the three-year ministry apprenticeship that Jesus has called them to. to a, they were in the discipleship, uh, the school of discipleship, uh, to learn from his words and from his works. And his example to them was to be accessible, approachable, interruptible, available. And they had to learn that. And we need to learn that as His disciples. That we need to give our lives for the benefit of others. For no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friends. But as they were going, verse 20, uh, a woman who suffered from hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Uh, this woman probably suffered from uh, menorrhagia, which is a prolonged and excessive uh, menstrual flow, uh, often leading to anemia and, and weakening the uh, immune system and therefore increases the susceptibility to, to other diseases and, and disorders. And for 12 Long years, this woman has suffered from this illness. Mark says, tells us that she spent all that she had on physicians trying to get better. Luke tells us that no one could heal her. And the law of Moses declared such a woman, or a woman in a, in a, during a menstrual period, is ceremonially and socially unclean. And during this time, she was not allowed to touch anyone, nor was anyone allowed to touch her. And any bed she may lie on or any seat she may sit on, that become unclean. And anyone who touches those things becomes unclean. Furthermore, that she was not to have uh, sexual intimacy with her husband during this period. And so this woman was unclean. She was ceremonially unclean, as unclean as the leper we saw in the beginning of chapter 8. She was also isolated. She was lonely, excluded. She was not, as I said, allowed to touch anyone, nor was anyone allowed to touch her, because that would make them unclean. And we don't know if she was single or married. But if she was single, no suitors would be calling. And if she was married, there was no holding of hands, no hugs of affection, no intimacy with her husband for 12 long years. And she was incurable. She tried it all. Every treatment, every physician, every quack that you could find, I'm sure. And she spent it all. She had nothing left and still there was no cure. And so I think it would be fair to say that she was desperate. She was distressed. She was despairing, hopeless. And I can just imagine her prayers saying, Lord, where are you? Is there, is there no end to this, this torment? Is there no relief? Lord, it's been 12 years. How I long to be touched. How I long to be hugged. 
How I long to be included, to be among my friends, to come and worship you in your temple, to be invited to my friend's wedding, to, to be at their kitchen teas, to be at their stork parties, their friendship, their fellowship. Lord, how long? How long? And out of such desperation, she approached Jesus from behind, fearfully and I'm sure prayerfully. If only I can touch the fringe of his garment, I will get well. Literally, I will be saved. And some understand the fringe here of, of the Lord's garment to be the tassels that was that uh, the men would wore on their outer garment. There were four tassels uh, that was to remind them of, of the law, uh, of the commandments of God, and for them to be holy. Uh, that is one way that this word can be translated. But I think the translations, the translators actually got this spot on because I think she was just trying to touch the, the hem of his garment. Uh, if, if those tassels were to be a reminder of the law, then for her to actually go and touch the very thing that excluded her from worship and from others would have been quite an audacious thing to do. And I don't think her demeanor communicates to us that she was of that kind of disposition. And so she came up behind Jesus and touched him. And Jesus turned around and saw her. And Mark and Luke again gives us much more detail here. It says that Jesus felt power going out from him. And then he was looking for her uh, because there was a whole crowd thronging around him and, and pressing in against him. And he asked, who touched me? And the disciples were, were in disbelief. How can you ask such a question when everybody's around you? But he knew she touched him. And so she finally found him or found her and said to her daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Your faith has saved you. And at once the woman was saved. Unless we have been as desperate as she was for as long as she was, I don't think we can imagine her joy, her relief, her thanksgiving, her praise, her worship, her devotion to the Lord Jesus on that day and from that day on. He took away her uncleanness. He ended her isolation. He cured her from her incurable disease. And what Jesus has done physically to her, he does also spiritually to all who turn to him in faith. When we are desperate, when we are distressed, when we are in despair caused by our sin, which renders us unclean, isolated, separated from God, and incurable. He came to save sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. And those who come believing, those who come repenting, those He cleanses, He purifies, He justifies, He sanctifies. Those who come believing and repenting, He includes, He accepts, He adopts. As sons and daughters, He allows us to enter the throne room of grace in heaven. And He cures us. He forgives us our sin. He gives us a new heart. He reconciles us to the Father. He restores life to us with hope and peace. And today, if you are here desperate and distressed and despairing over life, over relationships... Again, Jesus called you, come, come, if you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, all of this was happening while they were on their way to Jairus' home with his, to his daughter. And I can just imagine his anxiety and his sense of urgency. He said, Lord, my, my daughter... Uh, can, can we move a little bit here? And again, just to prove the point that Jesus was accessible. He was approachable. He was interruptible. And He was available. 
and he healed this woman on the way there. And on arriving to, uh, at, at uh, Jairus' home, there were all these flute players and we read of a noisy crowd. And, and really music played a big part in uh, funeral, uh, funerals in those days. You may remember that, that David actually mourned the death of his friend Jonathan through music. Uh, and the practice was in those days that you would, you would hire professional mourners, professional wailers to come to your funeral and mourn. Uh, and and uh, one of the rabbis, Rabbi Judah, said even the, the poorest in Israel should at least have two flute players and one wailing woman at, at, the, at, the, at the funerals. And so with a man like, like Jairus, he probably would have a, a number of flute players and a number of, of wailing women. So there was quite a commotion going on. And Jesus said, stop this commotion. This girl is not dead. She is asleep which, of course, invites a lot of laughter and ridicule. But then after he cleared the room, he went in, and Matthew tells us he took her by the hand, he touched her again, and raised her up. Mark tells us he, he spoke these words, Talitha kum, little girl, arise. Uh, just on a side note, they, when we first arrived here, there was a... There was a, uh, I'm not sure whether she was a news presenter or a weather person. Her name was Talitha Cummins. Uh, some, of, some of you may, and I always, when I, when I first saw that, I wonder, I wonder if, they, if her parents knew how close that is to that, or to this, this story. But anyway, that's just, just uh, on the side. Uh, but he said to her, little girl, arise, and this girl got up and immediately walked around, for she was 12 years old, and he instructed them to give her something to eat and that no one should know about this. But of course, the story goes on and says that was spread throughout all that land. And it's interesting to see the parallels between these two incidents. Both Jairus and the woman were uh, desperate people. Uh, they both turned to Jesus to whom they saw as their only hope. And they both turned to him in spite of what others may say or think. They both had great faith. Faith that Jesus could heal his daughter for Jairus and faith that this woman, was, that Jesus would save her, would heal her. And what was true of the woman was also true of this little girl. This woman was unclean because of her hemorrhage. And this girl was unclean because of death. In those days, if someone died and you touch a, a dead body, you become unclean. And so Jesus came and he touched both of them. But instead of him becoming unclean, they become well. They become alive. They become healed. And both of them were separated from others by their condition. The woman, of course, because of her hemorrhage and the girl because of of her death, and nothing separates us from our loved ones like death. And both were hopeless, but there is hope in Christ. There is hope of life and life in abundance. And it's interesting when we think about this woman who suffered for 12 young, long years, and we think of 12 years and we think how long that is, how Slow that time must have passed. Twelve long years. And then we read of the girl and we should see she was twelve years of age. And we think, wow, she's so young. This is, there's so much life left before her. How can she die so, so, at such a young age? But God is sovereign over salvation. And these physical healings really illustrates um, parallel spiritual truth to us. Um, we can put it in another way that spiritual realities surrounding salvation is illustrated by these physical healings. Because people, sin is what defiles us. Sin is what makes us unclean. That's what, that's what uh, Isaiah said when he encountered the Lord. He says, woe is me for I am ruined I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
But it is in Jesus where we find forgiveness and cleansing. Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And sin, furthermore, separates us from God and from others. It isolates us. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. But Jesus reconciles us to the Father. While we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of Christ. And having been reconciled, how much more shall we be saved by His life? And so sin defiles us, sin separates us, sin kills us spiritually. And only Christ can make us alive. Only Christ can raise us up to life again. We read in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our sins and trespasses in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as there is. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the age to come He might show His surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the miracles that are recorded for us in Matthew really presents us the, the supernatural affirmation that, that Jesus is the Messiah. It, it really gives us His messianic credentials, but it also illustrates to us these spiritual realities that salvation, that the, the, saving, the healings that Jesus brought was also spiritual healings and spiritual healings that He's on offer even for us today. And so we see that through these two uh, miracles that there is life and hope for the dead and, and the dying. And then it goes on and we see that there is sight and speech for the blind and the mute. First of all, sight. As Jesus left Jairus' home, he was met by two blind men who cried out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Um, we are not told much about these men except that they believed that Jesus was the Christ. They addressed him as the son of David. And it was a messianic title, one that, that, that Matthew used often to, in order to, to, to uh, really affirm that Jesus is uh, the son of David, he's the, he's the Christ. And these two men believed that Jesus was the Christ and so they cried out for him to help. Perhaps they, they knew of the prophecy that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35.5. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall shout for joy. So maybe they were aware of, of this prophecy that when the Messiah comes, this is what's going to happen. So let's go and ask him, heal us. If you are the Messiah, make us see. Help us see. Take our blindness away. And so they, they had great faith in, in, in Christ. And it, it seems to me that they who were blind could clearly see what others who had sight could not see. And that was that Jesus is the Christ. And they were also very persistent because it seems like Jesus did not respond to them immediately. He kept going from Jairus' house until he came. To another house. Now we don't know whose house that is. It may be Peter's house again. But these blind men were following him. Perhaps following the noise of the crowd. Or perhaps led by friends. We don't know. But when Jesus got into the house. There they were. Uh, asking them. Uh, if they believed. That he was able to heal them. They replied without a doubt. Yes Lord. And Jesus healed them. According to their faith. And then he warned them not to tell anyone. He restored their sight and sternly warned them. 
And this the language indicate there that this was a strong command. Uh, Jesus was very insistent uh, that they should not make this known. But lo and behold, they left and told everybody, it seems, because the news spread throughout all that land. And I have to say, that really puzzled me this week. Why did Jesus command them so sternly not to make this known? Especially if you get later on in that same chapter, Jesus was saying that, that the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And here he's stopping them from sharing what had happened. And why did they disobey him? If they truly believe that he is the Christ, that he is the anointed king, that he is their Lord as they professed, how could they disobey him so immediately as soon as they left his presence? Could, they be that, could it be that they made a false profession of faith? I certainly entertained that for a while, but then concluded that, no, I think Jesus warned them not to spread the news of this miracle of their healing of their eyesight, uh, not because he didn't want to let the miracle get known, because that was inevitable. As soon as they leave there and they find their first family member or friend, they would know, hey, something amazing happened, you were blind, but now you can see. But I think he stopped them from sharing that he was the son of David. That messianic title, which has a strong emphasis on ruling and reigning. And that they were believing and, and, and the Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. And so they were ready to rise up and get rid of these oppressions. So Jesus was warning them not to tell them or warning them not to share what has happened because they would share that he is the son of David, and that may lead to insurrection. Uh, now, it is true that Jesus was the son of David, and that he will come to rule and reign on earth in Jerusalem, on the throne of David, as was prophesied. But he first came as the Lamb of God, to die for the sins of his people. Jesus first came to suffer and die, and only with his second coming will he consummate his kingdom and establish his rule and reign on earth. And so the blind men's faith and their confession was true, and what they did was wrong. They should not have gone and spread it, and we can probably forgive them for that understanding how their joy and their ecstasy, their happiness for, for being able to see, they just blabber it out. However, their understanding was limited. Their theology was incomplete. They still not, did not know as they ought to know. They had zeal without knowledge. And they needed to be discipled. In their excitement at the newfound sight, they shared incompletely of who Christ was far and wide. Now this healing helps illustrate to us what Jesus does in salvation. Because their physical blindness really represents our spiritual blindness, our spiritual uh, lack of perception, our spiritual lack of understanding. I mean, Ephesians 4.18 tells us that sin darkens our understanding. And it takes the Lord to open up our eyes to the truth of who He is and the Spirit of God to enlighten our minds to the full revelation of Him. And so these men probably experienced something similar to what Jesus' disciples experienced on the road of Emmaus. I mean, Jesus' disciples were with him all the time, but, but even after his crucifixion, they still did not fully get the mission of Jesus. They were still expecting him to, uh, to establish the, 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 the physical rule and reign of, of the Messiah right there and then. And so when, when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection... Uh, on the road to Emmaus, uh, them being blind by their sorrow and their disappointment by their, maybe their presuppositions, their spiritual presuppositions, did not recognize Jesus. 
who told him on numerous occasions that he will be crucified and that he would be buried and that he would rise to, to life again. But after Jesus explained to them from the scriptures all the things regarding himself, and after sitting down with them to dine and, and breaking bread and blessing it, uh, their eyes were opened to see him for truly who he is, the resurrection, resurrected triumphant Lord. And their hearts were just bursting and, and they left there immediately and went to tell the others that they had seen Jesus and that he is alive. And so these two blind men had some understanding about who Jesus was, <clears throat> that he was the son of David, prophesied to rule and to reign. He proved it by healing them, but they did not know that he was also the Lamb of God, that need to suffer and die first for their sin and the sins of others. And spiritually, sin has blinded us. We need our eyes to be opened to the truth of who Jesus is. The truth of Jesus came to open, the truth is that Jesus came to open spiritual blind eyes. Jesus says in John 9, 39, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. Because Christ came, the Spirit of God has been poured out and now enlightens the mind so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, 1 Corinthians 2.12 tells us. And the Spirit opens our spiritual eyes to know the truth of the God. And therefore, uh, Paul prays in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance to the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And so this morning, if you are not in Christ, I pray that He will touch your spiritual eyes this morning and that you would see, that you would behold Christ, Jesus the Savior, Christ the King, Emmanuel, God with us. And for, for those who are in Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God would enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you may know the hope of His calling and the riches of His glory and the greatness of His power and the supremacy of His eternal reign. And so that you would know Him more clearly, so that you would love Him more dearly and follow Him more nearly. And so these blind men's eyes were open, and they had understanding, but... Not fully so. And they needed to be discipled further into the full understanding of Christ. And just as these blind men were leaving, they brought a mute man to Jesus. A mute, demon-possessed man. And then the demon who, were, who was possessing him tied this man's tongue, preventing him from speaking. And often... We read that demon possession produced muteness, but also deafness. Here, it, only the muteness is mentioned. But Jesus cast out this demon, and this man spoke. He began to speak. And though it is not mentioned to us what he was saying, it is not hard for us to imagine what it could be that he was praising God, that he was thanking God, that he was telling everybody of what had happened. To anyone who would look in his direction. And that is one of the evidences really of true salvation. That the moment that you are set free. When you are delivered from your sin. And from the oppression of your sin. That you will speak. That you will tell others about him who set you free. And that is what the Lord desires. He wants us 
to tell others about him. That's what Matthew did when he got saved. He had invited all his friends. The, the, the people at the little girl's uh, uh, well funeral, uh, when, when uh, Jesus raised that news spread throughout all that land. The two blind men, they told everybody they could find what Jesus had did. And it's not hard for us to imagine that the mute man did the same thing. He was set free. He could speak now. He can testify to the grace of God to him. And we should know that there, are, there were two other groups that were also speaking in this, this verse. There were the, the crowd who were amazed. They marveled. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. I mean, they saw the miracles. They saw Christ's power and His authority. And they should have believed. And some did, but many, if not most, did not. And that's, that's true even to this day. When we go out and we share Christ and we tell them of the grace that He showed us and that same grace is available to them, many hear it, but they don't believe it. And they will talk and say, wow, this is, this, this is wonderful. I can see that means a lot to you. But they would themselves not believe. And then there were the Pharisees. Blinded by their self-righteous pride, blinded by their prejudices and presuppositions, they said, he cast out the demons by the ruler of demons. If only they were wise enough to mute themselves, to silence themselves, to reserve judgment, to sincerely evaluate who was before them, then they would not have sinned in this unforgivable manner. Later on we read in Matthew 12 that Jesus healing a blind and mute man there that they claimed he did it by the power of Beelzebul, and that that really was an unpardonable sin. You see, the only sin for which people are ultimately cast into hell is the sin of unbelief. All other sins can be forgiven, but if you die in unbelief, that is unpardonable, because there is no pardon beyond death. They claimed that they could see, and yet they were blind. And they spoke, but it would have been far better if they were mute. And people, that's true today as well. There are always three types or kinds of people speaking. There are those who speak for Christ, like this mute man who believed in Christ and who belonged to Christ, and therefore speak for Him, proclaiming His name, His gospel, His lordship, begging the world to be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. And then there are those who speak about Jesus. They may know of Jesus. They may have heard of Him. They may be fascinated by Him. They would maybe know a lot of theology and like to even debate theology. But they did not or do not believe in Him. And therefore they do not belong to Him. And therefore they don't work for Him. And then there are those who speak against Christ. Those who deny His person. Those who deny His claims. Those who present another gospel, who believes another God, they are the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the gospel, and the enemies of those who speak for Christ. And so people, Jesus came to save sinners. He came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He proved He is a Savior. He proved He is the Christ. He proved He is God, Emmanuel, performing many miracles. In answer to John the Baptist's question, uh, Jesus answered, Tell him the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel 
preach to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And then Peter testified on the day of Pentecost when he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so Jesus Christ is the risen Christ. And he is standing this morning again through before you. And he reminds you again of what you have, if you believe in him, what you have in him. That you have been raised from the dead. That you have been spiritually cleansed from your uncleanness, that you have been restored, that you have been forgiven, and that you now have new life in Him, abundant life, and that you have hope, a hope that springs eternal. And so rejoice this morning. And He reminds us that He has opened your eyes so that you may know Him, so that you may read His Word and understand Him. To know His truth and be draw near to Him. And to know that you have been delivered from your oppression. Freed from your captivity. Released from your bondance. To be silent no longer. Your tongue has been set loose. Your lips are on fire. Proclaim the excellencies of His name. Speak for Christ. For there are many who only talk about Him or speak against Him. We should speak for Him because of what He has given us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You, Lord, that You remind us, Lord, of who You are and what we have in You. And, Lord, that You have done a, a, a marvelous work in us uh, a great spiritual restoration. Lord, we who were far off, you have brought near. We who were once alienated, now are your adopted children. Praise be to God for that. And Lord, help us, Lord, that the knowledge of our spiritual resurrection, our new life in Christ, our forgiveness, Lord, the opening of our eyes, the release from our captivity, Lord, would make us proclaim the excellencies of your name to all and everyone who would listen. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.